Hello, everyone, and welcome to the November 14th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. In a new panel decision, the WCAB clarified the definition of what constitutes a high-velocity eye injury, which is required for extending temporary total disability benefits. Andrew Glick claimed injury to his left knee, lumbar spine, neurological system, and his vision and eye while employed as a truck driver by Knight Swift Transportation Holdings when he was injured in November 2018 when struck by a motor vehicle while crossing the street. The vehicle was traveling at about 30 miles an hour, and he was thrown about 10 feet landing on the ground on his left side. He was knocked unconscious and transported to a local hospital where he was diagnosed as having sustained a fractured left tibia, fibula, femur, and temporal bones, right scapula and clavicle, and L1, L2, L3, and L4 vertebrae fractures, and in addition to that, a left brain bleed. The QME in Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation noted that his number one problem was vision difficulty, and he remained temporarily totally disabled. And a QME in Ophthalmology reported that he was not yet permanent and stationary and required a strabismus eye muscle surgery. After an expedited hearing on the issue of whether Mr. Glick was entitled to extended temporary disability for a high-velocity impact eye injury, exception in the labor code, the work comp judge found in Mr. Glick's favor, and that his eye injury was caused by a high-velocity impact, resulting in temporary total disability extending beyond the 104-week time limit. Reconsideration of this award was denied in the panel decision of Glick versus Knight Swift Transportation Holdings, Incorporated. The work comp judge report on reconsideration argued that the statutory requirements were met because Glick sustained a high-velocity impact to his person, which was the direct cause of both a concussion and resulting eye injury. The employer contended that the plain language or common meaning of the term high-velocity eye injury resulted to at least some impact of the eye, and cites as authority the en banc panel decision that applied a common sense and ordinary meaning to the term amputation, and that a similar analysis requires that they, there be some impact to the eye. But Mr. Glick's attorneys cited a 2009 panel decision in Glover versus ACCU Construction, noting that Mr. Glover was operating a mulching mower when he was struck by a metal fragment that entered his nostril, lacerating the nose, and fracturing the eye socket before traveling through the brain and lodging in the back of the skull. In Glover, the panel concluded that the term eye should be defined, not be defined too narrowly. Turning to the issues of the claim of Mr. Glick, the panel followed its reasoning in Glover and concluded the facts here support a similar analysis. 
and the Court of Appeal concluded that the California Department of Insurance has jurisdiction to invalidate a workers' compensation carrier's unfiled side agreements. The insured employer in this case, Adir, operates the Kiraco chain of retail department stores. Travelers Insurance issued Adir annual guaranteed cost workers' compensation insurance policies between 2004 and 2011. Each policy was filed with the Workers' Compensation Rating Bureau pursuant to the insurance code requirements and specified the rates to be charged to Adir. In 2012, Adir did not renew its workers' comp insurance with travelers and refused to pay travelers' post-policy period adjustment premiums as required by side agreements that had not been filed with the WCIRB. After negotiating to recover premiums Adir owed under the large risk alternative rating plan failed, travelers served Adale with an arbitration demand in 2014. In response, Adir filed an action in Los Angeles County Superior Court against travelers and its insurance broker, Grosslight Insurance, asserting claims for breach of contract, tortious breach of the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing, and fraud. The case then proceeded in various forums at various times, and in one of the forums, Adir filed an administrative appeal with the California Department of Insurance under an insurance code provision which authorizes a person aggrieved by application of a rating system to appeal to the insurance commissioner. In response to that, travelers petitioned for a writ of prohibition in the pending trial court action, requesting the court stay the administrative hearing with the insurance commissioner while the lawsuit in the Superior Court was pending. The court denied the petition and allowed the insurance commissioner to proceed. The commissioner concluded that travelers' unfiled side agreements violated several insurance code sections, as well as the Department of Insurance regulation, and for those reasons, travelers' side agreements were void because they had not been filed with the WC. Uh, IRB. Travelers then filed a petition for writ of administrative mandate challenging the commissioner's decision, which was denied by the Superior Court. And then the Court of Appeal affirmed the commissioner's order, as well as the post-judgment order granting Adir's motion for attorney fees in the published case of the Travelers Indemnity Company versus Insurance Commissioner Lara. Travelers contended on appeal that the commissioner acted in excess of his jurisdiction by deciding Adir's administrative appeal while Adir's trial court action was pending, citing the rule of exclusive concurrent jurisdiction applicable between two judicial tribunals. This rule provides that where several courts have concurrent jurisdiction of a certain type of proceeding, the first one to assume and exercise such jurisdiction in a particular case acquires exclusive jurisdiction. However, the Court of Appeal noted that there is some doubt whether the rule of exclusive concurrent jurisdiction applies in this case. They said it is a 
judge-made rule of exclusive concurrent jurisdiction based upon the public policies of avoiding conflicts that might arise between courts if they were free to make contradictory decisions or awards relating to the same controversy. Because it's a policy rule, application of the rule depends on the balancing of contravailing policies. They concluded that the exclusive concurrent jurisdiction doctrine does not apply in this context to proceedings pending before the trial court and an administrative agency. And in any event, it was reasonable and consistent with the primary jurisdiction doctrine for the trial court to defer to the insurance commissioner's determination of the ability of the side agreements at issue. Walmart claims in a lawsuit it filed in Arkansas State Court that 45 of the nation's largest insurers wrongly refused to cover their losses incurred as a result of defending more than 2,400 opioid lawsuits nationwide. Jurisdiction in Arkansas was claimed because Walmart is headquartered in Bentonville, Arkansas, and the parties conduct business in that state. The lawsuit involves nearly 200 insurance policies spanning two decades, and many of those policies are dozens or hundreds of pages long. Walmart alleges it has paid millions of dollars to 45 defendant insurers who are the nation's leading insurance companies for broad general liability policies designed to protect Walmart against potential risks to its businesses. They said those risks have now manifested themselves in the form of more than 2,400 opioid lawsuits that have been filed against Walmart that seek damages because of what they call bodily injuries allegedly arising out of opioids or opioid-containing products that Walmart sold, distributed, or dispensed. Walmart claims it has spent tens of millions of dollars defending itself against the opioid lawsuits and expects to spend much more in the coming months. Walmart timely notified the insurers of each of the opioid lawsuits, but the insurers provided what Walmart claims was a litany of meritless excuses while a policy supposedly do not why the policy supposedly do not cover the opioid lawsuits many of these policies are primary or first level policies meaning that they obligate the issuing insurers to defend or to pay for Walmart's defense and to indemnify Walmart either from the first dollar spent or once a self-insured retention has been satisfied. And the other policies are umbrella or excess layer policies. And now our crime report. A federal jury convicted former physician, 75-year-old Thomas McNeese Keller, of four counts of distributing controlled substances, including oxycodone, carisperdol, and diazepam, outside of the scope of his professional practice and without a legitimate medical need. Dr. Keller was a Santa Rosa resident and licensed physician who ran a pain management practice in Santa Rosa when he was indicted in this current case in 2018. He is a former Army neurosurgeon with a checkered medical career. 
Back in 1989, he was found to have engaged in sexual misconduct with several patients, for which he spent six months in jail and was temporarily stripped of his license, which was eventually reinstated in 1994. He opened his Santa Rosa medical practice in 2008 and started focusing on pain management about three years later. He suspended his medical practice in the fall of 2018 after learning that federal authorities were investigating him in connection with health care fraud and illegally distributing opioids. He was arrested in August 2019 and faced multiple charges brought by the California Attorney General's office, including second-degree murder in the deaths of four Sonoma County residents from drug overdose while under his care. But in May 2020, after nearly a week of deliberations, a jury found that Keller, Keller was not guilty of second-degree murder in the deaths of two of his patients and failed to reach a verdict on several other cases. Thus, he faced the current charges filed by prosecutors in the current federal court. At trial in this last federal case, the evidence demonstrated that Keller reportedly prescribed the opioid oxycodone and other strong addictive drugs to his one patient in this case in dosages that far exceeded the usual course of professional practice and was for no legitimate medical need. And this patient subsequently died of an overdose of oxycodone and other drugs. The federal jury this time convicted Keller of four counts of distributing drugs outside of the scope of his professional practice, but was unable to reach a verdict on six counts. The four counts of conviction carry a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, and the counts of distributing carisprodol and diazepam carry a maximum sentence of five years in prison. Additional fines, restitution, and periods of supervised release may also be ordered at his sentencing. A date has not been set for a sentencing hearing, and he remains out of custody pending his sentencing hearing. Keller was facing disciplinary charges filed by the California Medical Board when he stipulated to surrender his license in November 2019, and he is no longer licensed to practice medicine in California. And in regulatory news, the National Council on Compensation Insurance presented the State of the Line Report at its annual Insights Symposium, a comprehensive account of financial results for the workers' comp line of businesses. That report reflected the most current data available at the time, including NCCI's preliminary estimates for 2021 and 2022. NCCI previously estimated work comp written premium volume net of reinsurance to be $38.3 billion for private carriers for calendar 2021. And now the most recently reported industry data for that year is $38.2 billion, which represents a 0.5% increase from 2020. NCCI previously estimated a work op net combined ratio of 87% for private carriers in 2021. 
Its updated industry data indicates a net combined ratio of 87.2%, which represents a 12.8% underwriting gain. The 2021 combined ratio is the fourth lowest combined ratio in recent history and the eighth consecutive underwriting gain for the work comp industry. The current period of consecutive underwriting gains is unprecedented, they say, in terms of both duration and magnitude. The calendar year 2021 underwriting gain of 12.8% combined with the investment gain of 10.9% resulted in a work comp operating gain of 23.7% for that year. This value is slightly lower than the preliminary estimate of 25% and marks the fifth consecutive operating gain exceeding 20% for the work comp industry. NCCI expects premium to decrease in 2022 by 7.5% as a result of rate loss cost filings made in jurisdictions for which NCCI provides rate-making rate-making services. Improved experience-driven by long-term declines in lost time claim frequency has contributed to this decrease. And the Workers' Compensation Insurance Rating Bureau released the 2022 WCIRB GEO study, which underscores regional differences in claim characteristics Touristics across California. Their web-based interactive map allows a quick view of key measures across regions and is available in the research section of the WCIRB website. Even after controlling for regional differences in wages and industry mix, indemnity claim frequency is significantly higher in the Los Angeles Basin and significantly lower in the San Francisco Bay Area. During the pandemic, indemnity claim frequency increased significantly in Orange County relative to the rest of the state and decreased significantly in Ventura and Santa Monica, San Fernando Valley. The share of open indemnity claims has decreased substantially in all regions since 2013. The decreases have been larger in the L.A. Basin regions than that had the highest initial open indemnity claim shares. The share of larger indemnity claims, which are those with incurred costs greater than $250,000 at the third report level, tends to be higher in regions that have lower indemnity frequency. Northern California regions, including the Bay Area and Peninsula Silicon Valley, tend to have higher shares of larger indemnity claims. During the pandemic, the median injured workers' average weekly wage increased significantly in all regions. The share of cumulative trauma claims as a percent of all claims increased for all regions during the pandemic. The increase was largest, however, in San Bernardino and West Riverside and L.A. and Long Beach, which also have high relative frequency of indemnity claims. It was also relatively high in the Bay Area and Sonoma-Napa area, which saw decreases in the relative frequency of indemnity claims. 
Medical legal costs are significantly higher in the L.A. Basin, Orange County, and Santa Monica, San Fernando Valley regions than in the remainder of the state. Paid allocated loss adjustment dispenses are also significantly higher in Southern California regions. In 2020, nearly one in eight indemnity claims reported in California were due to COVID-19, and shares of COVID-19 claims were higher again in Southern California. The WCIRB will host a free webinar, webinar to discuss the 2022 WCIRB Geo Study on Wednesday, December 7th at 10 to 11 o'clock Pacific time. For those unable to attend the live webinar, a recording will be posted in the research section of the WCIRB website following the event. Orange County cities are considering protections for hospitality workers. In recent years, several cities, including Los Angeles and West Hollywood, have passed hotel worker protection ordinances, which put both safety and workload protections in place. Laguna Beach voters this November were called to decide on a Measure S, which would implement protections for hotel workers as well as make minimum wages for, health, for, tell, for hotel workers in the city of Laguna Beach of $18 an hour. Voters were rejecting the Laguna Beach measure by a margin of 68.8% to 31.2% in initial voter results released this Wednesday morning, November 9. However, the city of Irvine may be joining this trend. On October 25th, the Irvine City Council voted by a close margin to pass a hotel worker protection ordinance. But the ordinance still must pass a second reading vote, which has not been scheduled, in order to become effective. In a 3-2 vote, the members of the Irvine City Council became the first city in Orange County to approve an ordinance that aims to provide workplace protection for hospitality workers in Irvine. During a city council special meeting, local hospitality workers shared personal experiences that detailed occurrences of repeated propositions for sex and frequently unwanted physical advances from hotel guests toward hospitality staff on a regular basis. If approved at a second reading, the Irvine Hotel Worker Protection Ordinance will make it the responsibility of hotel management to equip and maintain wearable security devices for staff to utilize in the event someone is harassed, assaulted, or in an emergency. Based on the size of a hotel, the ordinance would also establish maximum room cleaning quotas for hotel staff. While the ordinance was heavily supported by hospital industry employees, several hotel managers spoke against the ordinance. The general manager of the Doubletree by Hilton Irvine Spectrum asked the council to withdraw from a vote, citing that a vote without any hospitality industry ownership involvement is inappropriate and undemocratic. 
He also said his hotel has gone over 300 days without a lost time workplace accident. The president and CEO of the California Hotel and Lodging Association said her organization and the Irvine Hotel community are extremely concerned that this ordinance would harm the hospitality industry and employees are still recovering from nearly two years of pandemic-related closures. And in medical news, Village MD, which is majority owned by Walgreens Boots Alliance, plans to pay nearly $9 billion to purchase Summit Health, the parent company of urgent care clinic chain City MD. The purchase includes investments from Walgreens Boots Alliance and Cigna Corporation's healthcare unit, Evernorth, which will also become a minority owner in Village MD. The deal will expand Walgreens' reach into primary, specialty, and urgent care, and the transaction creates one of the largest independent provider groups in the U.S. Combined, Village MD and Summit Health will operate more than 680 provider locations in 26 markets, and the two companies will have 20,000 employees. Last year, Walgreens invested $5.2 billion in Village MD and said it planned to open at least 600 Village Medical at, at, at Walgreens primary care uh, practices across the country by 2025 and 1,000 by 2027. The deal comes amid a, amid a frenzy of merger and acquisition activity in healthcare in the past two years. Major retailers like CVS, Walgreens, and Amazon are ramping up their focus on providing medical services to gain bigger footholds in the healthcare market. Drugstore rival CVS Health won the bidding war for home health and technology services company Signify Health and plans to shell out $8 billion to acquire the company. Amazon also plans to buy primary care provider One Medical for $3.9 billion. Experts say the move signals that Walgreens wants to become a dominant entity in the overall healthcare services ecosystem, and that Walgreens Boots Alliance is graduating up from being a drug retail store to owning the life cycle of members' health. They view the transaction as being a statement by the market that primary care continues to be one of the key drivers of the healthcare long term. The deal will also put additional pressure on CVS Health to break into the primary care business sooner than later. Village MD and Village Medical have grown to 22 markets and are responsible for more than 1.6 million patients. The CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance said, this transaction accelerates growth opportunities through a strong market footprint and wide network of providers and patients across primary, specialty, and urgent care. So this is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. 
And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I am Renee Fols with Floyd Scarin Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.